0: Well, it might come in a surprise, but uh, this uh, this duo, Daryl Hall and John Oates, oh. uh, are the most. Get this: they're the most commercially successful duo in the history of pop, beating everyone from Simon and Garfunkel, Daft Punk, and the Carpenters. Formed in Philadelphia in 1970, their leather jacket aficionados, they sold more than 40 million records, and in the 80s, they spent 250 weeks in the U.S. charts, more than Michael Jackson and Madonna. 500 Days of Summer featured one of their songs, hence the renewed interest. But as an aside, they hated being called Hall & Oates. In an interview, Oates said there isn't one album that says Hall & Oates. (laughs) (laughs) It's always Daryl Hall & John Oates. (laughs) (laughs) It's a horrible name, he said, and that it was a totally conscious decision not not to be known as Hall & Oates. How about (laughs) that? So...
1: That's the something things, my dad would have known, and I'm really sorry, Dad, <laughs> if you're listening, that I didn't get that music trivia.
0: The things that people can get upset about. There you go. So it's not Hall and Oates. It's Daryl Hall and John oh, Oates. So sorry, yeah.
1: Daryl and John.
0: <laughs> um, now, uh, Uriah Heep, very, very heavy, very humble, great record. Sorry, it's called Very Heavy, Very Humble, Great Record, says Derek. Santana's Black Magic Woman, Is another... Uh, Wallace sticky fingers for the real zip on the fly of the jeans and Michelle says please can you tell us what the Lord cover is we are driving and we haven't seen it so what's the best way to describe it Brody? maybe do a Google and uh, have a oh. look at it that way
1: um, you're on the beach you're lying down on the beach and someone with a quite high cut bikini bottom runs over the top of you and you look up and that's what you see
0: there you go and it's called solar power nice <laughs> Uh, Brody Kane, Ben Thomas on the panel 24 to 5. The Climate Change Commission has released its final report laying out the roadmap for the country to slash emissions and become carbon neutral by 2050. It outlines sweeping changes to society, but what does that mean for each of us? It stresses the technology and tools needed to transition to a low emissions future are available now, and the shift is affordable. So some of the key points, nearly all cars imported by 2035, that's 2035, must be EVs, electric vehicles, by the end of 2022, set targets to get more people walking, cycling and using public transport, livestock numbers to be cut by 15%, and setting a uh, set farm emission carbon pricing scheme, phasing out coal as soon as possible, and the use of boilers that burn fossil fuels. There are other points but for now let's bring in Emperor's Professor Ralph Sims for Sustainable Energy and Climate Mitigation at Massey University. Professor Sims,
2: Kiara. Kiara Wallace and hi Brody, hi Ben. Hi. Nice to
0: have you on. What do you make of the final report?
2: Well, it's um, showing that we need to be very ambitious. I should say straight away that it's very timely of Lord to re- produce her album, release her album, and show her power at the same time as the climate change commission reports come out.
1: So Ten out of ten for Lord, because that's she's so wise.
2: Yeah. Uh, but basically, um, we've known about this for a long time. The climate change commission's really got uh, a, a good overview of what's necessary in all sectors and transport being one of them. I've got my electric vehicle being charged from my solar panels in sunny Palmerston North. Have you? (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, it's costing me... It was cheap, cheap electricity, and so a big bonus there. And um, those are the sorts of things that are outlined in the report. What, what what we need to remember is we had an emissions trading scheme in New Zealand for 14 years, and what's it achieved? Because our emissions mm. keep going up, and so we need much more than that. In spite of what ACT Party think, and the problem is, I think that people understand climate change is a problem, but. Very few people have actually made any action, taken any action to reduce their personal carbon footprints. Businesses yeah. have done a few things, but I, I haven't I, flown
3: internationally for a year and a half.
2: Well, well that, that helps. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, what else have you done, Ben? Uh, and Go brother, on, Ben. Well, well.
3: You oh, first, Ben. I, I thought that was a pretty big one. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> very, very little. I don't, I don't, I don't name really, something. I don't really recycle anymore. It's a bit of a scam. Oh. So so you have not done anything to reduce your
0: carbon footprint. Cut down my beef consumption over the last couple of years. There you go. That's one. What about you, Brody?
1: Yeah, um, okay. I I use my car a lot, so I'm guilty of that. I do recycle. I use um these products called Atik, um, which are purely compostable, um, like your b- body and kitchen and face in here. Um, they're all like completely possible breakdown, da-da-da. Um, oh, gosh, that, that might be it. Right. I care, but, well, I care, I care. You do care.
0: <laughs> Professor Sims, does this, does, does, does Ben and, taking Ben and Brody as an example of our population, does it speak to the fact that really much, many of us actually don't do that much?
2: I, I think that's the major problem. And, and we've got one of the highest greenhouse gas emissions per person in the world, maybe the fifth highest of any country. And so we're all responsible. People say oh, New Zealand is only a little country, it doesn't count, but that's not the point. It's per person. So every individual, every business, can, should be reading at least the executive summary of this report. Government hasn't put it into practice yet, but it's not just national government that's going to set policies. We need local governments, we need businesses, we need individuals to look at our carbon footprint and we need, therefore, a whole education pro- process, similar to COVID-19, really. We need whole pages in the paper explaining what people can do and, and television adverts, et etc. et cetera, because Ben and Brody, I'm yeah, not okay, surprised, but I'm disappointed.
1: <laughs> yeah, good. Oh, no, not right. disappointed. But so, isn't can, that because can, can the apathy... Oh, Brody, Sorry, Ben. No, no. Mike, you. do you think that... Um, people in general particularly probably New Zealanders because we so think we're so clean and green that we have apathy towards this because you're we're not seeing globally big commitments from big polluters so like I, I can sometimes have that attitude where I go well it's I'll start playing my bit but but when will we see the big polluters of the world and of the country do the same you know you need you almost want to see them go first I've
2: been to many international climate change meetings through the IPCC. And I can tell you that China, whole of Europe, United Kingdom, out of Europe now, are, are leading the way. America's still doing a lot in spite of Trump being there, but Biden's got that back on track. And there's a whole range of activities. The UK's had a climate change committee, they call it, since 2007. And that committee, like our climate change commission, has driven down em- emissions in that country by a large amount. So uh, there's still a long way to go, but we cannot say the large emitters are not doing anything. India has got more solar power going in than anywhere else. China's got more renewable energy um, manufacturers as well as installations. So it is happening, it's worldwide, and we can't think that okay. we don't need to do anything. Ben?
3: Yeah, that's it's an interesting point, isn't it, because you see these infographics online a lot that say you know, 70% of the world's pollution is caused by 60 companies or something like that. But, of course, they're not just burning money in their backyards to emit fumes, are they? They're, they're producing petrol, which Brodie and I put in our cars. And so, you know, is the idea that, you know, we need some sort of regulation over what, what individuals can do uh, because we won't make those decisions ourselves?
2: Well, it's, it's a case of understanding... Uh, our responsibilities, but also looking at the co-benefits that we can get by cycling and walking two kilometres instead of taking the car and you're more healthy and, and therefore there's less doctor's bills and those sort of spin-offs as well, less traffic congestion. So, it's not all too doom and gloom and it's not all expensive. There are benefits there as well, which we should be um, uh, realising and that's where the education programme comes okay.
0: in. Um, Ralph, so I'm listening to this right now. I've seen this report, and there are some pretty significant um, key points in here. We might even cover some of these uh, this, this issue again tomorrow. But I'm listening to this and going, you know what? You've given us a call to action. Blow it. I want to actually make a change in my health, sold, or in my personal life right now. I want to do something unlike Ben, unlike Brody. I want to do something. What can I start with, Professor Sims? Well, I-
2: The easiest thing that everybody can do, including my grandchildren, who I keep reminding, is to reduce food waste. Because we fail to consume one-third of the food that we produce in the world, and that includes in New Zealand. We throw things away, we don't finish on our plate, we cook too much, and that food has got green... The food supply of the world is responsible for a quarter of the greenhouse gases. This is a report I did for the United Nations Food Agricultural Organization. And we fail to uh, consume it, a third of it, and that's the water used in it, the energy that goes into it, the greenhouse gas emissions that come from it. that's the first thing that everybody can do is try and reduce food waste. And we can also, at least, Ben, well done on um, becoming a reductarian. That's what uh, (laughs) uh, you are if you're eating less meat. doesn't mean to say you've got to go without meat, but all all restaurants now offer a vegetarian option, which wasn't the case 10 years ago, so there is a sort of trend that way. So those are the obvious things to do, but a third of our car journeys are two kilometres or less. And so why take the car when you can hop on a bicycle, assuming that the cycleways are there and it's safe, and etc. So um, those are the sorts of things that easily changing without any cost and feeling better about it and if everybody did that, well everybody will have to start looking at what they can do to reduce their well, carbon footprint. Well,
0: oh, they're I actually feel... brilliant tips. Final, final th- thought, Brady. Oh,
1: I just wanted to, I, I need to defend myself a bit. I don't use plastic bags I- I- at all, um, compostable. Um, Good on, yeah. i got compost. Right. I just needed to add a couple of those in to make myself feel better because I'm feeling terrible.
3: No, same here. I've got like a whole room full of reuse re- Usable juke bags from the supermarket <laughs> just pile, piling up like a hoarder's house, t- threatening to fall on me at any moment because I can never remember to bring uh, them.
0: Emeritus Professor Ralph Soongs, lovely to have you on the panel and thank you for those uh, words of advice there. Uh, oh, it is makes four, you feel terrible. It is 14, well, I, 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 that's why I asked because actually, um, here's, so here's your take home, Ben. So, all right, so you bought a cauliflower, right? Uh, you use three quarters of it and you throw the rest away in the bin, mm. but actually, where does that leftover go? It goes mm. into a crock pot, or you
3: can make soup stock, okay? Mm. So it's what quite I, easy, isn't it? What I'm hearing from Professor Sims mm. is that next time I go to the supermarket and I think this week I'm going to eat some vegetables and stock up on greens, I should I should just get real and yeah. know that I'm not going to do that, and I should walk yeah. straight past.
1: Mm-hmm. Is yeah. that
3: what you took from it? Yeah. From my, <laughs> that's, the, okay. that's my learnings.
0: Okay, uh, it's 14 to 5. The panel, Brodie Kane and Ben Thomas with me today. A survey by the New Zealand Herald has found two-thirds of New Zealanders say health prices need to fall. 64% of New Zealanders want to see health prices come down, up from 54% in October last year. About a third were not bothered whether that, whether the value of their own property dropped by a quarter, and this, of course, as house prices continue, continue continue to rise, figures from Trade Me just yesterday showing the average asking price for a house jumped 17% year on year in May. So, with me now to discuss this is Michael Gordon, Westpac's acting chief economist. Michael, welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, again. Big jumps, 70%. I mean, does any of this still surprise you?
4: Uh, not particularly. We've, and um, our team, we have long emphasised the, um, the importance of mortgage rates in terms of explaining these big swings in house prices. Uh, so while things like the pace of uh, home building and the d- degree of housing shortages do matter in the long term, but they don't really, they, these are the things that don't sort of change by 20% in a year. So it's been very much about the appeal of what are still record low mortgage
0: rates. Mm. I mean, some of the things that jumped out in, in terms of this uh, report, uh, it might sort of feed into policy perhaps one day. I mean, 25%, uh, a, quarter of, a quarter of people actually would take health prices back to the values of January 2020. So there's some room in there for people to say, actually, you know what, prices are too high and I'll accept a decrease. <laughs>
4: I, I think it's it's an interesting survey result. I'd, I'd really be interested to sort of put that to more of a uh, a real-life test.
1: So right. perhaps
4: a, an interesting survey question might be uh, to, to put to property owners, uh, would you accept an offer that's uh, 25% below the current market valuation?
0: Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot
4: of them might say, no, why should I?
0: Interesting. Brody. what do you think on this? And uh, does this affect your uh, health buying plans? Or maybe you have one, I don't know.
1: Um, Look, I am very grateful, and not a day goes by that I'm not very grateful, um, of the um, two properties that I own. And that wasn't done by myself, though. I went in with um, my mum in property number one and was able to use the equity for property number two. But I would say to anyone out there, it's not all rosy, um, because then something happens like the great rain of last week, um, and you might potentially need a new roof. So it's a lot of adulting, so don't think that it's a be-all and end-it-all. Um, but it, it's... Uh, how long... Uh, how long can this go on? I mean, we I know that I've been reading as well about the, the prices are expected to cool. Um, but we, uh, who's buying these things? And how does all these people have this money? Or are we just racking up uncontrollable amounts of debt?
0: Michael?
4: Well, it's, it's a terrific question. Who's buying? Um, what we've seen in, in recent months. Firstly, I think really from from about the middle of last year, so once we got past the COVID shock, we saw quite a ramp up in the housing market. Sales numbers really to talk, took off to, I think, the highest that have been since about 2007. And while initially it looked like 1st home buyers were uh, quite active, um, over time it increasingly came back to investors were you know, accounting for an increasing share of the sales. That's eased back a little bit in the last couple of months, so we've had the Uh, restrictions on loan-to-value ratios have been imposed. We have also had those uh, changes about the tax treatment of property investors that were announced in March. It's probably still a little bit early to say uh, for, for, for sure what impact that's having. But what we've seen in the last couple of months is that sales have still been very high the share going to investors has fallen, but at the same time, home buyers are actually still stepping up and paying these current prices. And when I say that, it's not just first home buyers, it's also counting um, the people who are, who are moving. Um, so they're still very much active in the market and quite willing to pay um, around these prices, if I not see. necessarily willing to kind of bid them another 20% higher.
3: Ben Thomas. And, and part of that is because they're sitting on their own sort of grotesquely bloated capital gains. Is that right? Which they can then sort of take take over to another property.
4: Yeah, for for people who already own a property, I and mean, that's that's something that's been cited as a potential weakness of. The loan-to-value restrictions, because if you have, the value of your house goes up twenty percent, then all of a sudden
3: you've, you've already got, got your forty percent um, of right? equity that
4: you can draw on to buy um, to buy another rental property if you're so inclined. Um, but it, it doesn't really apply so much to the, the, the first home buyers. They have been uh, actually still still coming in, and if anything, are probably actually um, clawing back a bit of ground from the investors in the last couple of months.
3: Mm. And, and so the the danger, if we take it at face value. First of all, that uh, people would stand for house prices falling. Second of all, that there was something that could, some way that could be made to happen. Um, The people that it would really hit uh, are basically just people who have bought in the last few months, isn't it? People have got like big mortgages um, who would take hits on their equity. Anyone who's had their house for a year or more would be sitting pretty even with a 20, 25% drop.
4: There would be. And I think, I mean, taking that survey, I mean, we did have a third of people who didn't agree that house prices should fall. Um, so there will be that, that rump there that would be vulnerable to it. But even even on those numbers, that, that, that two thirds of the survey, you've got a bunch of people. That implies that um, there's a bunch of people in there who do own property and would lose out if property prices fell. But I think the, it's, it's probably reflecting... Um, the degree of concern about um, the difficulty of, of of younger generations actually being able to get onto that property ladder. So it would be nice if it was more... Um um, available to them, uh, but at the same time, who is willing to actually sort of step up and and sell their properties at um, at below recent market prices uh, that 's the catch really and when we talk about prices, this is this you need, you need a buyer and a seller and they need to agree on something and what actually sort of spurs buyers to pull back their bids and and sellers to accept um, those, those lower prices
0: Michael Gordon there Westpac's acting chief economist, thank you very much. Uh, for your insights there, um, Ben, what's your? I mean, w- when you see these sort of prices, w- what's what's your personal view on them?
3: Look, it's, it's I, I'm actually you know I'm actually in a terrible position right now because I decided to buy a buy a place off the plans. Oh, you did? So yeah, so I think in about two years I'll have a place, right? So technically, I should be joining the ranks of people sort of praying that house prices just keep going up and up and up. But, look, it really is obscene right now um, because, you know, look, the, the cost of servicing these huge mortgages is not is not particularly high in a historical sense because of these record low interest rates. We know that that can't last forever. Um, it probably can't last the next few years. Um, right. And, and just you know and 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 the the sort of deposits that you're asking people you know, I just got sick of thinking about Auckland property and and sort of you know figuring out trying, trying to gain the system or whatever, but when you think about people who are just leaving university, you don't have years of kiwi Saver, who don't you know mm. and if they don't have parental help, you know it's just a brick wall, and you know that's not the sort of society that I think anyone you know is is happy for us to sort of normalize mm. uh. Finally,
0: on the panel, Canons Creek, Porto replacing is replacing the New Zealand dollar with cannon coins to try and boost wellbeing. Fifty people will take part in the six-week pilot. They're issued fifty cannon coin each. One can represents a dollar. The Wellbeing Protocol is working with the Financial Markets Authority on the currency. And Mark Pascal is part of a group called the Wellbeing Protocol, who came up with the idea. So, with us to explain is Mark. Pascal, Mark, kia,
5: kia what is Good to be on the show.
0: Good to have you. So, look, a very unique community currency. Tell us how it works.
5: <laughs> First thing, I'll just, just correct you on. We're, we're not trying to replace the New Zealand dollar. We're trying to create <laughs> something that, that complements.
0: Sorry. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that, right.
5: Uh, oh. that, that headline's got to got be out of control. Bit, but, uh, <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll try and explain it, and it's quite a... a concept to explain in a few minutes, but I'll give it a go. Uh, one way to frame it is in the problem we're trying to solve. Uh, so if you can think of society as being supported by three pillars, uh, the first is the free market, companies, capitalism, etc. Second pillar being the state, the government, and the third pillar being community. So over the last few hundred years, the technological revolution and in this country colonization has resulted in this, this quite big shift uh, and centralization of power and control towards the free market and towards government at the expense of communities and, and many people believe that and we believe this imbalance is at the root cause of many of society's problems from inequality through to the environmental catastrophe so and one of the results of this power imbalance is a system of social welfare and charity that, that we as a society have built up over many years to help the proportion of the population, generally the disadvantaged and vulnerable, who haven't done so well or choose not to do well out of that system. And, and many would argue that that charity welfare, social welfare system is quite fragmented, quite inefficient, uh, ultimately quite disempowering to the people it's trying to help. And it's, it's basically based, it's based around people with power and okay. control make, making decisions. All right. Uh, uh, how does it work? How does <laughs> it work? Is it
0: coins? Digital? What what happens? I want to buy yeah. something from the shop.
5: Yeah, yeah. So, so what in practice? Uh, so, what we're trying to do is, is to build micro economies, but microeconomies that are optimized for for human community well-being and local values. So, in practice, uh, that takes the form of a, of a smartphone uh, app okay. that that does a few things it acts as like a digital wallet so you can hold and transfer the, the oh. local currency in this case that the canon coin or can uh, but it also allows you to make that allows the community to start making decisions so we've got a way for the community to come up with new ideas for well being projects and to vote on those projects and then to, 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 to donate funds to those wellbeing projects. And then we're also going to build in data capture so that information about local well-being can be fed back to the community to help it make, make good decisions.
3: Ben? Okay, I've, I've just got a quick question. I'm, I'm trying to imagine this in my head, sort of as a Richard <laughs> Scary book. So yeah. the a, a cat has 25 cannon coins. He goes to his friend the dog and says, I'll give you five cannon coins to paint my house. The dog, who's a painter... Says yes, I'm part of this microeconomy. So it does that, um, then somebody donates ten canon coins to a community project, and then yep. g- g- does that just get s- does that get spent in the microeconomy, like the 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 sort of welfare project that we're going to do, or the community charity project yeah. that we're going to do? Yes, but- we- we'll buy services from the people who take Canon coin. Yes, so the idea is that within this
5: local microeconomy, certainly initially in the trial, we've, we've got one shop, the, the fruit and veg co op, so you can spend your cannon coins doing that. Or you can, yes, as you say, you can do it. You can trade within the community, you can pay for babysitting or you're painting a your house. Uh, the third thing you can do is to donate to the community fund, and then uh, that community fund gets, so far, sort of face to face meetings and some tools in to the app.
0: Alright Mark, hey, we're out of time uh, but thank you very much uh, Cannons Creek and Poterua trialling awesome. the Cannon coins Not bad Brody. I love it, go to the community cool. hey, And nice to have you with us on the panel Brody, Thank you, and Ben Thomas at YouTube I'm Wallace Chapman, back tomorrow I'm filling in for Afternoons as well for Jesse Mulligan so see you then from one